Ming-Chen, just to share with you a company secret. Out of, say, uh, out of, say, 100 equity analysts that we take in, right? 80% of them cannot get through the probation stage. Wow. Yeah. And how long is the probation? Three how months? How long, yeah, and what do we do? What, what happens in this? Yeah. Six months, six months. Six, six months, okay. Yeah. So what happens in that stage? Yes. Say bye-bye, no, I mean, uh, what do they need to do to yeah. prove themselves within oh, that six months? Why they say yeah. why they say bye bye? Why, yeah. yeah, why do they say bye bye? And yeah. no, no, they say bye bye. I say bye bye. Oh, you say bye bye. <laughs> yeah. No, because they cannot meet our standards. Mm. Look, we want you to do research, not like they want. Hey, Mister Tan, uh, you have Bloomberg or not? No, we don't. We don't subscribe to Bloomberg. We don't subscribe to Reuters. We don't subscribe to all that. So how how to do research? Huh? Oh. My goodness, you mean you got to do your research just by Googling. If I can do all my research by Googling on the desktop, I don't need you. <laughs> so we tell them, if you're in the office all the time, I mean, this is before the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. If you're sitting at your table all the time and you're an equity analyst, you're not doing your job. I want you to go out. Well said, well said. <laughs> Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.com firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firo.co slash free welcome 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 everyone back to the firo podcast best place for long-term investors now this special guest today is something that you know someone actually that we've been looking forward to see he is uh, he has made his mark right on the investment scene uh, in malaysia and hopefully globally in time to come now um without further ado welcome to the podcast mr tan thanks thanks and uh for those who are listening uh if you have not heard of capital dynamics please do your googling uh but you know mr tan i just want to start off with uh this question and this is something that i've always been wanting to ask but when I read or maybe when I watch things online about you, I can't really find, uh, you know, discover anything about this. So I want it from you yourself. Um, what was it like before you discovered investing, I guess? What was the pre-investing, Mr. Tan, like? Oh, uh, can I call you Ming Chia? Yes, can also. Uh, if you don't mind, call me Tengbo, you know, they are... <laughs> okay, Mr. Tan sounds too formal, is it, Mr. Tan? No, there are, there are millions, there are millions of Mr. Tan, but there's only one Tengbu. <laughs> yeah, okay, good, good, good. All right, all right, Tengbu. Yes, yes. And uh, Mr. and uh, John, just to uh, before we move on, because uh, Mr. you said to Google Capital Dynamics, uh, you got to be careful ah. uh, because we have an imitator from Switzerland. Oh, yeah. Uh, we started ours in 1988, Capital Dynamics. And a Swiss company with the same name in 1999 used the same name, so we have been fighting them in terms of uh, intellectual property trademark in many countries. Uh, oh okay, gosh! Okay. Right. 
So what would be the best word, uh, keyword, Tengbu? Uh, 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 I capital? Yeah, I capital. I capital also can. Capital dynamics also can. Tengbu also can. Uh, okay. Doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Now we know. Now we know. Uh, yeah. So uh, Tengbu, what, what, what was it like, you know, when you were a lot younger before you discovered this uh, beautiful thing called investing? Oh, uh, I discovered investing in 1971. When I was in uh, Form 5, mm -hmm. FPM. Uh. Yep. And basically, it was through my father. And mm. my father, we are, we are from Alostar, you know, it's a backward town. Uh, even now, it's still backward. But at that time, there was no broker. So he got to know about investing in the stock market through uh, some relatives uh, who were already trading in true brokers in Penang. Uh, that's how I got to know about uh, the stock market. I see. Did you have any interest prior to investing? Uh, were you into sports? Uh, were you into other other hobbies or anything before before you discovered this love for investing? Actually, uh, I was very active. I I am not. Uh, uh, my my academic results are really terrible. If you look at them, you know, it'll be uh, any parents looking at my academic results will be very shame. Will be embarrassed. Uh, but I was very, very active. I was a school tennis player. Mm. Uh, I was playing basketball. I also, I, I, I think I played literally every sport except hockey. Wow. Uh, so we played uh, basketball. I represented my house. Uh, I was also very active in athletics. I was, I nearly won a bronze medal in javelin. I got fourth Ooh. place instead of third place. <laughs> <laughs> how, how far? How far were you away from that place? Don't, don't mind me asking. Uh, not that far. Like, if I practice a bit harder, you know. But I was very poor in short part and discus. I see. Ah, okay, I see. Okay. So yeah. I, okay. I I also know how to play cricket, uh, volleyball. Wow. Uh, I reached the semi-finals of uh, our school. Table tennis championship, we were in doubles and we lost to the pair that eventually became the champion. I see, I see, I see. So, I so do, do you play do you still play any sports, uh Mr. Tan? Uh Tengbu, uh, sorry. No, no I, I just go for brisk walking. <laughs> okay. Good enough, good enough. Better better than nothing, I guess. But the, yeah. the best activity during secondary school days was uh, chasing girls. <laughs> oh, do you have to run a lot for that one, or you know, wasn't wasn't that difficult? It's interesting because in Alastair, there's only one uh, really man, a uh, boys boys secondary school, and there were two secondary schools that had uh, only girls. Wow, ah. crazy uh, You know, in that sense. Uh, so we were like in a monopolistic position, you know. So <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. My guess is uh the schools you were talking about is what College Suta Abdul Hamid and then Kethua, uh, is it? No, uh the that time Kethua uh, didn't have really English education, it was mainly focusing on Chinese. I see. For government school English was only uh, as you said correctly, uh yeah. Sultan College. I see, I see. And the girls' okay. school was a convent and Sultana Asma school. Oh yeah, Sultana Asma school. Okay. Uh, okay. Are you also from Alastair? <laughs> 
No, no, I used to study in Jitra for three years. So I used to go to church in uh, Alostar. That's why I know Alostar quite well, actually. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I'm actually from Sarawak, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kedah definitely has a place in my heart. Uh. I spent three years mm-hmm. there. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I have to move on and ask a little bit about what it was like in essentially early 70s when it comes to stock market. Because yep. at that point in time, the stock market who have been very, very young. And I just want to get a sense because, you know, someone like me and maybe even John will, yeah. well, we weren't even born then one. one Correct. Two, we have no, I mean, both of us don't even have a, a, a big idea of what the, the 90s crash was like, right? Yes. Let alone in the 70s. So maybe you can give us like a picture of what it was like, you know, starting investing. Peek into the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Then, then we'll talk about how old I am, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was very different, definitely. Uh, there was no smartphone, no internet, and uh, what I, my father and I used to do is, uh, because our broker was in Penang, so we're in Alostar, so we had to dial, is that old telephone, you got to dial and all that, so by the time when the market is bullish, very bullish, it's impossible to get through to your reminder. You know, by the oh, time gosh. you get through, it probably maybe it would be one hour. And then the reminder is so the reminder was from this Penang broking house called Sun Tiam. Uh, he's so busy because there's so many customers and so many orders. Uh, if you don't like give him your orders within one second, he'll bang down the phone. And then you've got to try calling him after another one hour. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that time there was no such thing as T plus three. That time was great. It was lovely for speculation in the sense that. Uh, I was physical scrape, physical share certificate. So let's say I buy, say, uh, Sam Darby or Hopa. Sam Darby and Hopa were the market, uh, the, the, the speculative favorites at that time. So mm. I buy Sam Darby today, I say, three ringgit, and I may not have to pay until one month later. My gosh. <laughs> because the share certificate was not delivered to the broker in Penang yet. You know, Selling broker in KL didn't have the time to process the share certificate and they have to physically send it. At that time, there's no, no courier service and all that. So you got to physically send it to Penang and the backroom people in Penang got to process it and then issue you the invoice, right? By the time uh-huh. you do all that, it could be like a month. And then at the end of one month, from $2 went up to $5, you just sell and contract. Wow. <laughs> but is there is there no credit cap? Like, for example, how much can you buy? Uh, or how, how do you determine the credit cap for the, in a way, the, the investors back then? Uh, the brokers were so antiquated. Uh, there's no computers, don't forget. Right? This uh-huh. is all using, even at that time, calculator was not that, um, not ubiquitous yet. Like. You, you still hmm. have abacus and all. Wow, abacus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the, more traditional, the more traditional Chinese type one. Uh. So, this thing of, what is your credit exposure doesn't exist because a lot of times it is based on the trust of the customer. Ah. How well you know the customer. I right? see. And uh, no, no, the, 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 these things don't exist. So that's why when the crash came in 1973, uh, I mean, not just brokers were badly affected, uh, but listed companies also went bankrupt. Mm. Wow. What, did they practice like, a, oh, I mean, 
pardon my ignorance, uh, but did they practice like an open pit system? And then how, how, how I mean, I only watched this in videos, right? How, yeah, how did yeah. they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's an yeah. open outcry system where uh, you call your broker, like in our case, you call a broker in Penang, the broker will have a line to his trading boys Mm-hmm. In uh, KLSC at the time on the floor of the KLSC, right? Okay. okay uh, can you buy for me 1,000 shares of Santa B? So the broker will pass that uh, order to his central dealing boy in Penang first, right? Oh. The central dealing boy will pass the order to this uh, trading boy that they have in KLSC. Mm. And they were on the it was all manual. They write on the blackboard. Lah. You know, Sandabi, buyer to ringgit, uh, seller to O2. And then they will do an open outcry and then uh, the buyer and seller will match. Mm, 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 mm. What wow. if the price change in between? Let's just say you place an order and that, and then the price fluctuates so much, right? I mean, before I can give you feedback, uh, uh, your price actually went up by, you know, you still want to yeah. buy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the, because the quotation is there's no electronic monitor, there's no electronic board and so on. So the quotation on KLSE were all manually written on the, was written in chalk, written on the blackboard. So you have to change your code, you have to change. And by the time your broker, like my case, gets to me, uh, probably the code will be outdated. (laughs) Wow. So that is why a lot of those uh, investors at the time were basically based in Penang, Ipoh, and KL. Because mm. what they do is they will go to the broker, the broker's office, and sit there. <laughs> okay. Because the broker's office would have a blackboard, and then they would have their trading boys writing the buy, the bid, and offer manually with a chalk. Oh gosh! You can see live, you see, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you're outstation, if you're wave. Uh, like in my case, then you're a big disadvantage. I see, wow. I see. Wow. So chalks and abacus. That that is uh, that <laughs> is a different world. We should make a documentary about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see how people uh how the British boys at that time uh it was really hot, the market was really hot. Uh the term that they used at that time was hot money. Uh-huh. So a lot of foreign funds came in, this was very speculative. Basically from London. Okay. So, and they created Havoc because all of us were novice. And then these British boys, you know, they're always acting like as if they're still the imperial masters of Earth. Mm. So they stripped and they played all kinds of Havoc with Opa and Sandabi. I see. I see. I see. I see. Has all what you just described? I mean, I'm I'm very fascinated the history of 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 the capital markets in Malaysia. Has any of this been documented anyway in a book or something? On a thing uh, to your knowledge? I no 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 because oh, I tried gosh. to do research, and I cannot find any materials. Right. Oh, all this oh. is lost, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And John and uh, what happens is, uh, at the end of every day. Right, Monday to Friday at seven o'clock, RTN Radio Television Malaysia, mm-hmm. right, will announce all the transactions for the day. How? Whoa. So how long would that take? About twenty to thirty minutes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Not many transactions, I guess. No, no. The, what they do is they'll give you the 
from A to Z, the uh, high, low, and the close. Ah, ah okay, wow, okay, 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 okay. Wow. Yeah. Because you don't have uh, live quotation, right? Mm -hmm. at, at, at midday, at 1.30, there's the midday news. And then they give you a brief summary of the uh, report, uh, right, of the market. Mm -hmm. And the close at 7 o'clock, they give you the full uh, report. And that's when my father and I would sit down and listen. I know OCBC went up 50 cents. Wow, <laughs> you calculate, you make extra 5,000. <laughs> oh, you have to record your returns yourself, right? That sense, because uh, yeah, no one yeah. was doing it for yeah. you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. No but, such thing as Excel spreadsheets also, MJ. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no and, computers. No computers. Yeah. yeah, wow. yeah. But I, I just want to get a sense uh, before we go on into maybe value investing, right? Which is now we know what the KLCI 30 looks like. I think back then, I'm not even sure if there was a KLCI, but all the some of the big companies back then, you mentioned a few names like Sam Darby, Hopa, and OCBC, but what were the, what was the Maybanks and the Maxis of the world back then, uh, uh, Tengbu? No, no Maxis, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. And Dark Krishna probably maybe still running naked somewhere in fact. <laughs> uh, Maybank, Maybank was... Because maybe I started by a Chinese, Ku Teck Pan. Yes. Right. And at that time, Maybank was seen like a bank that could collapse anytime. Ah, it's wow. not like what the Maybank, what you see now. At that time, the bank that is trusted that it cannot collapse is OCBC. Mm, 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 mm. OCBC was like the pinnacle. I see. Maybank is like uh, the, the young kid on the block. The startup. Lah. Yeah, because by 1971, it was only about, I think about five, six years old only. Mm, and mm, in the mm. 60s, it also nearly went bust. La. I see. Right. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was no Sandra B. It was created by this Slater Walker, Jim Slater and uh, Walker from UK, where they did a lot of mergers and acquisition and push up the price and created a new conglomerate called Sandra B. Same thing with Hopa. I see, I see. And and would it be safe for me to say that the conglomerates dominated the big market caps or were there other different kinds of businesses? I, my, my, my guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. that time the oil palm industry wasn't that developed. So there's no such thing as semiconductor. There's no semiconductor, yeah. there's no oil palm. Uh, so what were the wow. industries that actually dominated? The constituents, uh, yeah. Yeah, what were yeah. the constituents? Uh, tin, rubber. Yeah. Ah, okay. Thin rubber. Okay. Uh, other than that, were they like uh, any manufacturers or any in industrial? Yeah. yeah. Dunlop. Dunlop tires. Oh yeah. Oh. Dunlop. Yes. 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 <laughs> right. Right. That time, the Mui group already existed already. Uh. No. 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 Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet right. Oh yeah. Mui was only in the eighties. I see, I see, I see. Because okay. uh, if you look at the food industry at the time, most of the manufacturing were import substitution. Uh. Uh, so you look at Dutch lady, Fraser and he was already around, right? Okay. And uh, the banks, OCBC is very prominent. Uh, uh, some tin companies, some rubber companies, there's no oil palm mm -hmm. and no oil and gas, mm. no semicon. Mm. How wow. times have changed, right, John? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely want to sit with Tengbu over coffee yeah. to, dis to discuss more about this. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we can one day sit down and do a, a movie about it. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're looking for, that would be that would be yeah. awesome actually. Because yeah. a lot of people don't realize at that time uh, how the British boys 
uh, Slater Walker uh, and a few other people who raided. Hopa was belonging to the All family of Singapore. They made the Tiger Bum called. Yeah. Ah, yes, yes, right? yes. The yeah. Tiger Bum, right? And then this British company, these British raiders came and raided them. And then they, basically what they do is they push up the share price. Mm. Right? And then issue shares. Oh. Whether it's B or Hopa, they issue new shares. Uh, I mean, let's say at 10 ringgit, when the share maybe it's only worth 2 ringgit, they issue new shares at 10 ringgit, and then they acquire more. So within one or two or three years, you see suddenly a huge conglomerate coming out of nowhere. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, all this eventually collapse. Uh. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah, so, yeah. I, I guess now I have to ask, right? You, you've seen all that, and then you started in the 70s, and then you mentioned that. This was, this was quite a formative experience in that, you know, you know, to, to use your words, you know, the, the British boys came over and caused a mess. Um, how do you then go from that to discovering value investing specifically, right? And why? Why do you decide to go with that? Uh, Mingxia, I think I'm born uh, somehow. Uh, God created me as a value investor right from day one. Really? I always look at values. Uh, not just in investing in anything. So it is something that is innate in me. Uh, it's not foreign. I I discovered Warren Buffett in 1982. I think I probably was among the very few Malaysians who discovered Warren Buffett at that time. And when I read Buffett, Graham, and Philip Fisher, uh, Templeton at that time, I, I mean, I was really a value investor even before that. Mm, mm. So when I read all this, then okay, I mean, it makes sense, man. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, so right. I don't know why I'm born with that very cheap skate mindset, you know, looking for value, <laughs> looking for goals. <laughs> <laughs> In Hokkien, there's a saying, ah, cakap tua kue gu chialin, ah. So ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- does it does it capture the essence of what you just said? You know, yeah, but now no more Guchialin. No more Bullock card already. No more Bullock yeah, yeah. card already. That's correct. That's correct. But that's the Penang saying, MJ. You know, it's like yeah. the 10 cent, right? Is The value is bigger than the Bullock card uh, wheel. Actually. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. So, but I have to ask maybe to get a little bit more shape, right? Because value investing has sort of evolved so much and there's so many different versions, so many different descriptions. So, that's essentially a let's call it a value investor since 1971, right? Uh, what? How would you describe your version? It has changed. It has changed. I mean, uh, Ben Graham himself from the uh, mid the 1932 when he started when he, he almost went bankrupt uh, to the time before he died, his version also changed. Yes. Uh, same thing for Buffett. Buffett was a strict. Uh, Graham follower, then he met he met Philip Fisher, he met Munger, and then he also morphed into something different. Yeah. So I think the what has stayed constant, whether it's Graham or whoever it is, uh, is the fact the concept of marginal safety. Uh, mm. I think that is the where whether you use a discounted cash flow method to determine value or whether you use a back of the envelope method to go and calculate intrinsic value, those are in a way more secondary and it will depend on 
what sort of investment, what sort of assets that you are investing in, the method that you use to value the, the investment or the asset. But mm. whichever method you use, whatever tool that you use, the central concept is I must be paying something less for what it is worth. So that is that is fundamental. That, that cannot change. Mm. Right. Mm. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. So let's say today, you know, because you've seen like thousands of companies, right? So today, maybe one of your analysts or whoever just say, hey, uh, Tengbu, like, what do you think of this company? What are the first sort of, uh, you know, first few questions? So, you know, like Buffett is known to be, to uh, deny or, or ignore investments or accept investments within the first five minutes, right? He you know, he has said that it's very quick for him. So for you, what are the first few questions you ask whenever someone throws you this new investment idea? The business model is very important. That, that will determine uh, whether the company has got uh, competitive advantages. Uh, that will determine, that to, a lot of, to a large extent, determine uh, what kind of strategy the company has to adopt and mm whether this company and how you will value the company because the valuation of a company is different from valuing, say, uh, let's say valuing a, a shop house, right? Mm. In the case of a business, uh, you've got to look at the business model because that will determine uh, how competitive it can remain, uh, what are the competitive advantages uh, it has, Mm. and whether it can protect its margin in the long run. Great, great. I I have a follow-up question, uh, Tengbu. So is is there some sort of a framework when you look at business models? Uh, Obviously, the business books will tell you like Porter's Five Forces or Flywheel and all that kind of thing, right? But I mean, in Malaysian businesses or Malaysian context itself, uh, it's not as varied as a service-based industry like in the US, right? So you see a lot of manufacturers, uh, uh, people who do in a way more labor-intensive kind of manufacturing. So maybe you can, can you take us through an example? Like uh, I, I know that you have HPMT as part of uh, your portfolio. So maybe when you look at some uh, business like HPMT, which is like a precision manufacturer and all these kind of things, when you talk about business model, how do you how do you do a benchmark or how do you frame it out uh, to know whether they have a moat? Uh, I think let's not talk about specific stocks. Right? Oh, okay, sure, <laughs> sure, no problem. Maybe a, a position <laughs> manufacturers. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, to to give you a better illustration, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Uh, Asia or capital A, right? Okay. A lot of people look at Asia as an airline, as a low cost airline, mm-hmm. right? 
Now, they've been listed, what, since, I don't know, two, 2004, I believe. Uh, yeah, 2004, 2005, that's, yeah, that era, yeah. yeah. So they've been listed for a long time, and we have never invested in Asia until mm. until uh, March 2020 when the pandemic uh, broke out. Mm. And the reason why we invested in Asia at the time when Buffett sold every single of his yeah. assets, yes, and we were buying so many Asia Air Asia shares that uh, some of our customers who never really <laughs> called me, who never really troubled me and. Call up, uh, Mr. Tan, are you sure you know what you're doing? Uh, <laughs> you think you should run, don't you think you need to wait and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I explain to them, uh, I'm not buying Asia because it's a low-cost airline. I'm buying Asia because they're going through a digital transformation and the business model is going to change. And based on this new business model, uh, I, of course, I assume that uh, Tony Fernandez will succeed Based on this new business model, I think capital A or Asia is, is very undervalued. Mm. Yeah. Correct. So that's how I look at a, a company. So you I mentioned see. you mentioned uh, Tang Sui Tony uh, just now, right? How, how then do you look at management? Because I'm sure you've met so many management in private meetings and all that. And, um, you know, just because a company is in a good industry doesn't mean that they're going to do well, right? I mean, take, for example, electric vehicles. Uh, we have heard many, you know, very many, uh, of course, the success story of Tesla, but, you know, you've got some of the others, which I will not name, that have gone bust or have bad reputation. How do you actually determine, right? Uh, how do you actually tell whether the management is, is of a high quality or not? Well, there's no shortcut. Like. You've got to do your homework. Like. I mean, uh, I'm not a face reader. I got some of my staff who are very good in face reading. <laughs> and uh, I'm not a face reader. So what I do is I you got to research as much as you can about the company, about the industry, about the person. And then from there, uh, when you talk to the person or when you talk to his or her senior managers, you get a sense as to whether they're telling you something openly or trying to disguise or trying to hide certain facts, you know. Mm. Uh, there are some listed companies in Busa that I, do, I wouldn't name. Uh, you can see a lot of cash in their balance sheet. Mm. And they'll tell you, okay, we are reserving this cash because we're buying this land to expand our factory, blah, blah, blah. And it's been delayed and so on and so forth. And one year later, two years later, the cash is still sitting there and <laughs> the delay is still there and so on and so forth. So after a sense, after a period, after a while, you get a sense that, hey, maybe the person is not being transparent with you. Mm -hmm. So it's all about doing your homework, doing your research as much as you can about the company, about the industry. Uh, I mean, it's like Transmile. Once upon a time, every analyst was so gung-ho about Transmile. You know, must buy Transmile, must buy Transmile. We stayed away from Transmile because uh, we, we dig deep now. We found out the... CEO of Transmile, probably was running a small bus company in Johor Bahru. Mm. So if he was running a small bus company and wasn't that successful, you know, mm -hmm. so the success of a small bus company in Johor Bahru, how is he going to make a success of a cargo plane, a cargo uh, business mm. on a regional and possibly a global basis? Understood. Understood. So yeah, I was, yeah. I was skeptical in the sense I wanted to wait and let the guy pull himself. Up. I see. I, I think I have to. I, 
we have to dig deep into the Transmau yeah. story because this is something a lot of Malaysians don't know. They don't know actually. And yeah. and and I want to know from your perspective because you uh uh Tengbu, you obviously avoided it and you went through all this process. But I know there was a lot of bias surrounding it, right? What what do you think back then? Maybe maybe also even describe to us, right? What what was the Transmau saga all about? One and then also, what were some of the things that uh? people, misconceptions that they have about Transmau. I can think of one, for example, I believe uh, Mr. Robert Kwok was also invested into it. So everyone thought, hey, if Robert Kwok was into it, obviously it's going to be a good investment, right? <laughs> yeah, so maybe from your perspective back then, right, how, 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 what was the saga like? And also, you know, how, what were the telltale signs that you should have avoided? I mean, Robert Kwok made mistakes, right? Yeah. Warren Buffett also made a lot of mistakes, right? Yeah. So I think any investor or analyst or fund manager, you got to you got to have your own conviction. Right? I mean, whatever, like I said, when Buffett was selling every single Delta Airlines, American Airlines here, I'm buying millions of uh, Asia until uh, my clients all were so scared. <coughs> you have a conviction, of course, you have to do your research. Mm, you mm, mm, my conviction, you know, like our former fourth prime minister, the seventh prime minister has a lot of conviction, but all his convictions are wrong. That's why the whole country is, you know, that's why he destroyed the whole country. Mm -hmm. High conviction, but is your reasoning correct? Are your facts correct? Is your analysis mm. correct? So in our case, like I said, uh, I know that the CEO was running what is known as South Johor Amalgamated. Mm. At the time, it was listed on Busa. This is mm -hmm. a small bus company in Johor Bahru and not making sometimes a bit of profit, sometimes a bit of losses and all that. Mm -hmm. So in a protected industry like that, and you can't really succeed, how did he transform to becoming the CEO of a fast-expanding, successful regional freighter? Mm. I couldn't answer that. I see. I see. Yeah. I see. I so see. whatever like Mincha said, whatever Robocock sees in him, I couldn't see. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, the hype that uh, analysts and investors always like to do is they always look at earnings forecasts. Mm. Right. In the next quarter, the next year, and they were giving bullish forecasts. It's like top glove, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in July 2020, I mean, this one is written in our newsletter. In July 2020, one week before the glove peak, we say, please get out of all the glove stocks. Mm. Because the business model is not a suitable business model. Again, it's business model. Mm, right, mm, right, mm, right. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. So coming coming back to, to that as well, uh, when you do research and you get a feel of management, uh, uh, are you comfortable investing in a company just purely... Uh, on the facts that you gather, Third, when I say facts means you don't actually see management itself. Will you be comfortable putting in money into a company? You've done your thorough research or whatever, for the lack of a better word, that they call it desktop research. But will you put into money that you've never met management before? And if you do, why? If you don't, why? Possible. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. A company like United Plantation, mm. pump off, right? Yep. Uh, been around so long. Uh, okay, I haven't really seen the CEO and so on, uh, but I've seen the estates. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a lovely Danish bakery inside the estate. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> Genuine, authentic. Okay. Uh, and their yields, uh, the highest, 
and well managed, and you can look at uh, the history, the record, the track record of United Plantations. Yes, I would invest in the company without having to see the CEO or their investor relations in such mm, a company. Mm. Mm, 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 right. Mm. Is there a problem for you? Like maybe you've you've done the research, but it's like you know, I I really need to see the management. Do you do you actually go through that or or not? Yeah, yeah. We see the management. Our uh, the research process is rigorous, uh, thorough. Uh, we do like any businessman would, any CEO would. Like, you know, before uh, before we buy Padini shares. Uh, we have to understand the industry, hmm. uh, that means the competitors, and then, of course, if we can, to meet up with the CEO himself, how he views the, his company, how he thinks of the industry, and hmm. how he manages uh, the, the, the competitive uh, landscape, you see? I see. So yeah. we do a 360-degree kind of uh, research. Okay. Oh, that's a that's a cool that's a cool word. Uh, Trade <laughs> sixty degrees. Yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah, I have a question with regards to the business model and the changing landscape. So, maybe uh, if I could use an example of let's say big box retail, big box retail, uh, uh the convenience stores, uh, not so much convenience stores. I think, uh, uh retail malls that sell um, everything lah. Um, if the industry has evolved. How do you have a checklist to see whether the changes the company can actually? Uh, so let's just say like big box retail, they sell clothes, they sell everything under the sun, right? And then when they actually the consumers' behaviors actually change in a way, how how do you make a judgment call to say that is this company uh, adaptive enough to actually change an environment, or do you see management lacking in in, in that change? And when when do you actually decide? Uh, you know whether that is still a good investment over the long run. Uh, John, research is something that doesn't stop. It's twenty four by seven. Mm. It doesn't stop on Saturday and Sunday. Mm. Uh, I hope like, I mean many applicants who wanted to join us as equity analysts. Ah, Mister Tan, you work on Saturday. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Problems and opportunities don't only appear on Monday to Friday. You know, problems Correct. opportunities will come at any time they want to. Any time they want to, to, to turn up. Mm. So, research is twenty four by seven. Be alert. Uh, alert means it could be from reading a, an article. It could be talking to people. You know, you go to a funeral. You go to a wedding, and you're chit chatting with a bunch of people, and they say, you know, this. A uh, supplier, this company, blah blah blah, and then you put the pieces together. So mm. it's very similar to a jigsaw puzzle, except that in the case of a jigsaw puzzle, you know the final picture. Mm -hmm. uh, you do not know the final picture, and you don't mm -hmm. know where the pieces of the puzzle are. Mm. That's a very good analogy, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Is I think it's more about uh, also um, having your faith in management. Would I would I say that because it's like for example. Uh, I don't know whether you've invested in this company before. Some someone like Yinsen, because I thought about the the you mentioned Transmar and then the bus company, right? So, Yinsen, this company used to manage a fleet of lorries, and all of yeah. a sudden go to FPSO, you know. So yeah. how 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 would you trust people who tell you that you know they sell you this dream or this vision, and then how do you actually access that metrics to know whether yeah. these guys can actually deliver? Because if not, and then another industry is like, let's just say, uh, big box retailers. 
they say that oh our, our consumers are spending this basket size but then over time you see that the, the the numbers are dwindling and all that and people are not visiting malls like how they consume uh, products today and how, how do you how do you make the judgment call actually uh, a lot of it is that there's no scientific formula it's a lot of it is gut feel mm. and at the end it's a, a judgment call that it look uh, I mean, you're not going to go out and trying to, like like what you said earlier, a checklist where I put down a list of 20 factors and I tick the boxes and out of the 20 factors, 19, I cross, 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 cross therefore, I would say sell. Mm. But the last one that you didn't cross may be the most important. Yeah, correct, correct. That's true. Correct. So we, we don't, I mean, it's basically the same as how you run a business uh, you want to promote the staff, you want to make this person to be your CFO. Can you trust this person? Mm. Right? So you, you observe the person, you test the person without the person knowing sometimes, mm. or with the person <laughs> knowing, right? You put mm-hmm. all kinds of circumstances, stress the person, watch the person, and if you're still not comfortable, then wait long. Mm. Until the time when, uh, that's why, People like Munger and Buffer will always say, you know, at the end of the day, it's a judgment call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So but the judgment becomes more accurate <laughs> if you do your research more. Yeah. 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 Does yeah, it improve over time uh, based on your experience? Does, does your judgment improve over time? I'm pretty sure, like, you know, like Minjay and I, we, we do make mistakes in the portfolios we run as well. But does it improve over time? And how do you, do you have a process to improve that judgment call, Tengbu? Uh, don't know. I don't know whether it improves over time or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but but I guess the ending never stops. Uh, you, you never stop learning. Uh, you think you have learned so much and then suddenly something new comes up. Oh my mm. goodness. I never thought mm. about it like that. So, okay. which is why you have to go back to the central concept of margin of safety. Right? You have to mm, be... Yeah. A value investor has to be very humble. You got to be humble mm. enough to say that, look, I cannot know everything. I cannot discount everything. There are a lot of things that I wouldn't be able to know. Therefore, let me have a margin of safety. I see. I see. Okay. Excellent advice. <laughs> so I actually want to, to move on to one area in investing that's actually not probably talked a lot about enough from, from where I sit. And that is how you know, moving on from the business models and then the valuation or that to how should one manage their portfolio? And by that, I mean, what's what's the best way to diversify, right? Like, uh, you know, you look at across the different investors, you know, they believe that, you know, you need to have at least 20 overstocks. Some say, you know, less like five, five and more is too many. And also, uh, you know, how much cash they should be holding. So maybe I want to get from your perspective, Teng Bu, right? If there is, what is the right amount of stocks to hold? Maybe we'll start with that first. I think the answer will depend on uh, each person's circumstances. Right? Mm. If, I mean, if you look at companies that really succeed, they're all one product company. Mm. Microsoft is only, you take, I mean, okay, now Microsoft is a bit more diversified. Yeah, correct. Past, you take away Windows, Microsoft will go bankrupt. Uh, same thing with Apple. Now you take you take away the iPhone. Yeah. Nobody buys the Macintosh, except yeah. maybe one or two crazy designers who cannot 
get used to a Lenovo or whatever is this. Yeah. So those companies that really succeed, right, the emerging ones, Amazon.com, uh, Tesla, Alibaba, these are all single product company, mm. right, single strategy. And those that are in multiple type, like say Sandabi, the conglomerate, they don't really do well. Mm. So if you apply the philosophy, if you are able to, the investor is able to, and your circumstances permit you, why, why won't you diversify? If I really bought the best stock there is, why should I go and buy the second best stock? Mm. Right? So if I buy the best stock, and then go and buy 20 stocks, so the 20 stocks there will be diluting this best stock that I have. I see. But of course, this strategy is not applicable to everyone because... Uh, to do this, you got to be very familiar. You got to be long-term focused, right? And your financial and personal circumstances must permit it. Yeah. So in the case of Mincha, you are asking maybe for a typical investor who is not so well-versed, who thinks that uh, I want to put a little bit here and there, here and there, so that I don't get whacked or I don't get wiped out if I make the wrong call. Right? So in that case, then, it will really depend on the size of your portfolio. I mean, if you're having a hundred thousand as opposed to 10 million, you know, it's a, it's a different call mm. and your financial circumstances. If you can lose, you can afford to lose all the hundred thousand. Who cares? Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, John. Yeah. Uh, with regards to that, that size, right. A lot of people, especially the young, the younger ones, I think who, uh, I'm trying to wind back to when you, in the 1971 when you started off and the capital that you had, I, I don't know what was the size, but a lot of young people today said, I'll wait till I have money, then I start investing. So what would be the advice that you would be giving to you know these this young people who want to start their journey, but they're already very hesitant because the lack of capital they have and then they you know just afraid of being wiped up in the market and all those kind of things. You know? do, do you come across questions like this from beginners? Every rich person, financially rich person, every wealthy person starts off poor. Mm. Either starts off poor or their father or their grandfather started off poor. Mm. Everybody started off with nothing. Mm. So how do you take from just earning a few thousand dollars to be a multi-millionaire? Right? So that, that kind of mindset is wrong because mm. there's no... A uh, magic formula where I can take you from $3,000 to $3 million in one year or two years. Mm. It's a process and you got to go through that process and that's where compound return comes in. Mm. Right? And if you understand compound return, if you keep... I mean, there's this uh, advertisement which I really enjoy that tells you that uh, if you start uh, uh, one ringgit on 1st of January you know, and every day you keep doubling. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, what do you have at the end of 31st of January? Yeah. <laughs> it's mind-boggling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you use that example, and compound return takes time. Okay, you have one ringgit. The next day, you double to two ringgit. After you double mm. to four ringgit, right? So in the first one or two weeks, you don't see much, right? Mm. Doubling from one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16 ringgit, 16 to 32. What's the big deal? One ringgit yeah. to 32, what can I do with it? But you continue because compound return, the, the longer it takes, I mean, the longer it runs, then the ending part 
of the compound return is where the big money is. Mm. So by the 31st January, you're looking at, uh, if I remember, I think- 1.07 billion. If it's, uh, I, I remember doing this because it's 10 cents, it's 107 million. <laughs> if, it's, uh, <laughs> if it's $1, I think it's 1.07 billion. <laughs> So John, John, you must be dreaming about this every day, right? <laughs> no, no. Actually, actually, I, I'm not sure whether the ad is our ad, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because ah, actually, yeah. I, yeah. You, it was, I don't know, was it blue in color? Do you remember the color? The, <laughs> we, we actually created this ad. Yeah, yeah. So we know the math very well. They're like, we know maybe, the math very well. So you see, from a dollar to a billion, right? Yeah. So but in the first 10 days, that doubling, a dollar yeah. to two, two to four, Four to eight is nothing. Yeah. So if you think of that first 10 days as your first 10 years, that's nothing. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Right. Yeah. So, you think that's, sorry, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. Go on, go on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so do you think that, I guess the follow up question would be is that first 10 years, right? How do you convince someone to stick to it and yeah, make sure? Because yeah. that's, that's the, the toughest part, right? Uh, you got to have, you got to do your research. You got to understand. I mean, there's no shortcut now. People think that investing in the stock market can be something that I could just uh, close my eyes and then uh, forget about it on the weekends. No, it, it's the only, for me, there are only two ways to be financially wealthy. Either you own a successful business or you be a successful investor. Mm. And a successful investor is great because you don't have to do all the hard work that the business owner has to do, right? You can pick and choose, but to do that, you got to understand business, right? Yes. Uh, <coughs> to some extent, you got to understand accounting because accounting is the language of business, right? Mm. And how 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 accounting can be uh, marked about, uh, manipulated, and so on. So that is a basic. So you must know the language of business. And then you must know a business. What, mm. what, what does it take to run a business successfully? Yeah. So you don't have to be a businessman yourself or businesswoman yourself, but you can read, uh, talk to people, watch, observe, and see how businesses succeed and how businesses fail. Mm. From there, you can apply to the fact that the company is listed on the stock exchange. It's just make it more convenient for you. Yes. But the principles do not change. That's true. Yeah. I want to get into entrepreneurship uh, next, but I have one last question, right? Because I, I've been a pro subscriber to iCapital for, I think, close to five years now. And I've, I've attended some of the investor days. And then one question that keeps popping up is your cash balance, right? A lot of people like to ask, why is it so high? You know, we so, yeah. so many investments left, right, and center. How come, you know, this is uh, it's still so high? And... I really want to get your honest response to, to this because, yeah, wh why, wh what do you think about, first of all, cash management as a whole in the portfolio and specifically, why do you prefer in this environment, uh, you know, for cash to be that high? The holding of cash starts from a simple premise that we cannot, we cannot be right all the time. We cannot be able to focus accurately all the time. So it's, uh, it's like a contingency reserve. It's like an insurance reserve in a sense that you, I mean, one thing I can guarantee you is that uh, markets will go up and down. 
there will be crisis, there will be opportunities. That, that I can guarantee you. So the thing is, if you don't have the resources with the reserve, then when the crisis turns up or when the opportunities turn up, you are not in a position to make use of them. Mm. It's just as simple as that. It's just common sense. You know, mm. if I'm really fully invested, uh, let's say in 2020, I'm fully invested. I bought all the glove stock because everybody was bullish. You know, I bought Hatta Lega, Kosan, Supermax, and so on and so forth. And then when they all drop, then what am I going to do? I see. And I remember you you likened it in one of your, your talks to a uh, call, call option with no expiry, right? Yeah, yeah, basically, you know. There's no exercise. You are the one that determines the exercise price. Mm. You are the one who determines when to exercise it, right? Right, right. Okay, yeah. okay. Now, uh, John, any more questions before we go? Yeah, one, one last one on portfolio. Um, <clears throat> to, to your point about, you know, investing is a full-time job. Um, what would you say to people who are not wired like you, not wired like us, who loves to do research, who love to, you know, to think about work stocks on a, work on a Saturday, you know? work on a not even Saturday, work on a Sunday, you know, yeah, Sunday yeah. afternoon, Saturday, like someone gives you after church, right? After hey, church, yeah. yeah, after church or <laughs> lunch after church, and I say, hey, thank you, I think uh, this one, uh, every day, uh, my supplier increased my price, I got no choice, uh, I have yeah, to, I yeah. to buy from him, you know, and then ding, 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 your light bulbs all go up, you know. So, <laughs> what would you say to those, those people? You Leave it to the professionals or what? Well, after the somebody can do it for you, no? Oh. Right. Got it. I mean, yeah. if, if you don't think, if you don't have the confidence, if you don't think you have the experience, you don't have the time, you don't have the skills to do it, then I saw just uh, get a, a well-proven stock. If you could get a well-proven stock, I say, a United Plantation that gives you a 6% dividend yield and then just leave it there, for example. But they will say, Tengbu, I was so slow, 6%. I go into crypto, I can make 30% a day. I go into, I get some stock tips. I can get, you know, 20% and then yeah. I buy I buy the low and I sell the high, you know. I mean, I'm pretty sure in your 40, 40 years, 50 years, I'm pretty sure people walk up to you and tell you this, you know. And, and it's, it's somewhat very common for me and MJ to get this as well. So what would you say to that actually? <laughs> well, the, the, the other thing that's important for us, like you mentioned, the keyword at the very beginning is the investing framework. Hmm. The framework is very important. So for us, one of the components of our investment framework is what we call a simple arithmetic of investing. In other words, simple facts. If I buy a dollar and the share price goes down 50, 50 cents, I lost 50%. But for me to recover, I have to make back 100%. Correct. Right? So then you put in probability. What mm. are the chances that you lose 50%? What are the chances that you make 100%? Mm. Then you know that if you're going to do a kind of uh, forecasting, timing kind of thing, then you know that you're playing a losing game. Mm. Because the chances of you losing 50% are so much higher than the chances of you making 100%. And the funny thing is this, which is what we also put in our framework, our Western yeah. framework, is it's not symmetrical. Mm. The losing 50% will take you maybe six months. The yeah. 100% maybe take you five years, 10 years or never. Yeah. So the guy who is concerned with margin of safety, right? Let's say between you and me, Chair, and, and uh, you, John. Yeah. You are the more conservative guy. Say, no, I'm going to put my $1 in fixed deposit, just earn 2%. Mm. Chair said, no, John, you're so stupid. Let me go and <laughs> show you how it is. Right. 
And true enough, he went to top glove at nine ringgit, right? And now it's 170. <laughs> 80%. Yeah. But you still have your one dollar. Mm. Yeah. His one dollar has become only 10 cent, 15 cent. Mm. So what is what is well? Well, it's relative, it's not absolute. If everybody's a millionaire, nobody is rich, nobody is poor. That's true. Correct. But now Correct. you've got one ringgit, and our poor Ming has got only 15 cent. <laughs> So you are eight times, seven times richer than him. So mm. for a person who bought tub glove, and there are many people who bought tub glove at my ring, right? Yes. Oh. And holding yeah. up to 170. So for yeah. 170 to go back to nine ringgit, that means you have to make something like 700%. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the math is very clear and very obvious. Huh? Yeah. 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 Simple. Yeah. So Risk reward. Don't, don't look down 6% because we yeah. did, uh, like I said, research is important. We have done our research. Uh, if, let's say, you take the Dow Jones Industrial Average, right? Yeah. You know that it's been hitting all-time high for, for the last few years, right? So if I was to ask you uh, from 1926, which is midway, the peak of the Drawing 20s was 1929, right? Mm, mm, and mm. bottom was about 1922, 1923. So 1926, January is about the midway. So I would ask you that you invest in the Dow Jones Industrial Average on 1st of January 1926, up to now, up to 2022. What has been the annual compound return? I'm guessing including dividends. Well, excluding dividends. Just excluding. I would say somewhere between 7 to 8%. Now it's about 35,000 points, right? At that time, it was less than 100 points. Wow. So 25x really? More than 25x. 35. 35. Oh, yeah, 35. Yeah, I heard 25. Yeah. It's only 5.74% compound return. Yeah, mm. but 5.5% compound over that period, you know? <laughs> so, John, you asked me that now. People complain yeah. percent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's don't, good. Don't, don't 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 look down six percent. Yeah, no, actually, we, you know, you know why? Not? because one of our research uh, team members, uh, he, he was telling a colleague, and I I always love to share this story because he was telling his colleague about Vitrox. I said, if you bought Vitrox and you kept it right over fifteen years, uh, you made hundred x, you know. And then he said, "Ha, you have to you know, you have to wait for so long, uh, fifteen years to get hundred x, uh. So for them, right, for, for me, right, I, I will be like, my, my gut is on the table already. I said, my God, can you find me a 100x investment <laughs> over yeah. 15 years, even 20 years or so? I don't mind waiting, you know. But you see, the p- perception of time frame for a lot of people is, is, is not there, you see. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I think uh, just, just more, that's actually, I have so much more yeah, to yeah. ask you. But yes. now I have to ask uh, Mr. Uh, sorry, Tingbu. <clears throat> Um, you're known to be an investor, but there's another side of you, which uh, is a business owner, right? I think people tend to forget that, that, you know, you run iCapital, the, the first and only, if I'm not mistaken, uh, close-ended fund on, on Busa, Malaysia. And I just want to start off by asking, right, what has been your journey, you know, uh, listing the company, expanding overseas, What's it like? Because that skill set, as you rightly pointed out earlier in the podcast, is quite different from the investor skill set. The investor just, the investor is like the astronomer, right? He studies the stars, he studies space and all that. But 
a entrepreneur is like a astronaut, right? He gets his hands dirty. So yeah, maybe we'll, we'll start there. I don't see the distinction between investor and businessman. They are the same. Okay. For me, for me, there's no distinction. Okay. You know, so uh, when Buffett said a long time ago that he's happy to have a foot in both camps, in the business world and the investment world, I totally agree with him because what I learned from the business world, I applied to investment. What I learned from the investment world, I applied to the business world. Mm. So there's no distinction. And I suppose... Uh, the approach I'm taking is different from uh, a typical fund manager. A typical fund manager uh, would look at a piece of, would look at buying shares of uh, whatever it is as a piece of paper, whereas I look at it as, as if I'm going to start that business. Mm, mm, so mm. like when, the, when uh, MPI, plunge uh, mm. in 1998, the Asian crisis, that mm, mm, mm. about firing it. Uh, I look at it from not from an analyst point of view. I wasn't going to forecast anything. I just look at it from a replacement cost. That time was value at about, uh, because it was about 5 ringgit to 10 ringgit. So it value about 500 million to 1 billion ringgit. And to be able to just replace whatever they have, it costs a lot more than that. Mm. So just to give you a simple example yeah. of uh, the uh, business principle and the investing principles. So if I were mm. to go and start a semiconductor company, it cost me a lot more than that. And yeah. here I have I got a, a bunch of uh, senior managers of proven running it for on my behalf. Yeah. Mm. But the the part about expanding overseas. Uh, listing I capital base Berhad. Uh, listing I capital base Berhad was uh, was a tremendous achievement for us uh, because uh, within the two to three months uh, we did all the fundraising all on our own. We did not allow any investment bankers to raise the money. We wanted to do it ourselves. I see. To choose the investors, mm. and, and in about. Two and a half months, we raised about a quarter billion ringgit. Mm, so mm. That was a very significant achievement for us. And then, you know, now we have got uh, one China fund that we run out from the Hong Kong office, the iCapital China fund. Mm. We've got two funds uh, running from the Sydney office. One is the Asia Pacific uh, dividend fund, and one is the International Value Fund, which is capital appreciation. And then we have another fund for high net worth individuals running from the Singapore office. So to, to expand uh, into those countries, Singapore, Australia, Hong Kong, and so on, and then to set up these new funds, uh, Ming-Chi, you're right. Uh, very similar, the, it's very similar to researching a company, it's very similar to the, the process that we have to go through uh, is very similar in the sense that you've got to do your due diligence as thoroughly as you can. Mm, right. Mm. And uh, I mean, in, in our case, it's made worse because uh, we have never had any Malaysian fund managers who has expanded to Australia or to Hong Kong for that matter. Mm. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I have to ask this as well. I just remember, John, I didn't include the questions, but 
this is very crucial, I think, because I want to understand right, the thought process behind going the close-ended route. Yeah, I just wanted open, to ask that. The open-ended. Yeah. Because most yeah. people who have gone for the open-ended because, um, I don't know, I could be wrong, but maybe because of the ease of access, anyone can just buy it with a small amount of money, like you see in the unit trust or mutual fund world in the banking industry. But your decision to go the close-ended fund, uh, Tengbu, why was that the case? Each uh, investment product has got pros and cons. Uh. Mm, mm. Uh, close-end fund has the advantage that <clears throat> you can invest for the long term in small caps without having to worry about redemption or net inflows of funds, right? Mm. Uh, in the case of uh, unit trust funds, uh, you have the advantage that uh, you can keep on expanding your, uh, your fund base because you can have new funds coming in. So I think each each product has got its place depending on the uh, objectives of the customer of the investor. Right? Mm, mm. So the uh, investor must be able to sit down and say what it is what is it that I want? Right? Do I want uh, the advantages of a closed end fund or the, the advantages of an open end fund? But uh, Ming-Che, uh, John, I think one point that we need to make very clear is that uh, all our funds do not have uh, entry fees. There's no entry uh, fee, no exit fee. There are sales no, charges and all that. No sales at zero. So mm. if the net asset value is a ringgit, you buy and sell at one ringgit. And that those, those entry fees and sales commission and the bid and offer spread can cost investors a lot of money. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, and that's true. So far, at this point in time, we don't have distributors. We, If Mincha, you want to invest in our China fund or John, you want to invest in our Asia-Pacific fund, we'll go directly to you. You come directly to us, no intermediary, mm. and end up with all the transaction costs. Yeah, no, it, it's a, a great, I, I have a few more questions. I want to peel deeper about, about this because uh, I think I'll start off with the easier ones first. Do you think investors understand even the nuance, uh, the differences between a close end and open end? Because most of the investors, their first touch with actually a, a capital market product is usually through an intermediary or either through an advert. I mean, I used to be a unit trust agent when I first started off. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know any better uh, now, obviously. Uh, and, and it's always, even today, uh, the reason why the largest unit trust uh, f- uh, fund house in Malaysia is because of their agency force. You know, it, it's not, there's no doubt about it, right? It's 20,000 strong. Yeah. And, and you see, the problem is a lot of retail investors don't even understand the nuance, you know. Uh, pardon me, I'm not condescending them or whatever, but it's they don't even understand the nuance between an open end and closed end, you know. And why do you think people will have the capacity to want to go to a closed end if they don't know the difference, you know? What will you say to that? Uh, John, great question. Yeah. Uh, we are the only listed close-end fund, and you're right. Very few people are familiar with it, right? And uh, that is the reason why I mean, you talk about investor day. That's the reason why we conducted investor day mm. to educate the Malaysian public about close-end fund, about value investing. Mm. Oh, and the investor day uh, involved a lot of expenses, a lot of effort. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, City of London, who is uh, the one of the large shareholder and uh, and uh, fellow journalists, they 
wrote a lot of nonsensical things about the investor day. They said that we were wasting money and so on and so forth. And then, you know, we put in so much. If you talk to our staff, every one of them is very scared when investor day. <laughs> because that is an event where all of them, including those working in the Hong Kong office, in the Sydney office and Singapore, because all of them have to come to help. Ah. All of them got to work long hours. And they're very scared. They said, Pingu, you know, they, they, they don't look forward to it. Mm-hmm. And we put in so much sacrifices. The expenses for the investor day, half of it are borne by us. Mm. Half borne by the listed closing fund. Mm. Put in so much effort, we call in, I mean, Minchai, I don't know which session you attended. We call in speakers from overseas to raise right. the standard of investor knowledge and so on. And then the City of London uh, did a lot of bad media campaign. And then we got we got so cheesed out. We said, let's forget it. Like, let's not do it anymore. Like. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we got very pissed off. Like. But yeah, I remember. you're right that uh, in London or New York, right? Out of the total listed companies in New York Stock Exchange or London, about 13, 14% of them are made up of close-end funds. Mm, correct, exactly. So if you translate that 30-40%, we should have about 130-140 close-end funds listed on Busan, Malaysia, except yeah. now we only have one. Why? <laughs> so the question you ask is great because the investors are not familiar. We wanted to take the path of educating them. We were shut down. Uh, the government doesn't promote close-end funds. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reasons, I mean, why why would London and New York and ASX have so many close-end funds if these are no good products? Correct. So yeah. uh, I I cannot. It's an uphill battle. Uh, I believe very passionately in uh, close-end fund, but unfortunately, uh, it, it looks like very few people are <laughs> supporting what we're doing. Dory, uh, MG and I, we are big fans of close yeah, yeah, fun. Yeah. Big fans of close end. I we will never run an open. It's very I always obviously we won't stay too much in the future, but it's very unlikely we'll run an open end fund. It never made sense to us that when you start with the fund, you're five percent down, you know. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a very the, odd thing. Yeah, yeah, John. Chair, that's why we don't charge any entry fee and sales commission because yeah. like you're you're correct. Yeah. I put in a dollar, but I only get 95 cents to work for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the performance incentive is in a way currently structured. Uh, I, I, I know I'm going to get shot for this, but I, I think the incentive structure is in a way <laughs> not, yeah. not incentivized to the investor's benefit. Uh. That's all I put it. Uh. But John, the trouble is yeah. most investors are not aware of this. Most investors don't know this. Exactly, exactly. And I, I talk to people who are these are not what we call your normal normal mums and pups. You know, these are mm-hmm. high corporate achievers who are probably running an SME, who are probably a high up in an MNC. Yeah. But when it comes to management of money, right? Yeah. There was one time uh, uh, this person, right, uh, works for a very very big bank. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even understand that there's actually a sales charge and then and there's an mm-hmm. AUM fee. Yeah. Mm. Things like this, and you have a twenty thousand. You know, a- again, I said uh, I'm, I'm going to get. No surprise. I mean, we look we look at balance sheets all the time, so right? they have yeah. all those money markets and unit trusts and all that. I'm yeah. sure they also not not aware when they put. Uh, yeah, Minchia and John, that yeah. you you both of you are experienced enough, and that's the reason why 
yeah. Australia and UK did a major reform of the way the funds are distributed in their countries. In mm. UK, it's called RDR, Retail Distribution Review. Mm. In Australia, it's called FOF, the uh, Freedom of uh, Advice or something like that. Whereby, mm. the financial planner, the financial advisor that's advising the customer cannot get their income from the product producer. In oh. other, if I'm the financial advisor or financial planner, I cannot get my commission from public mutual or mm. Kananga or Hong Leong or CIMB. I can only get it from the customer. Mm. Because why? They realize through the OA crisis and so on, they realize that all the customers, at least in the developed market like UK and Australia, mm. all the retail customers were actually skinned off by the advisors. <laughs> they were selling, promoting products where they received the highest commission from the mm. product producer. <laughs> That's why they launched this major uh, legislative reform. They introduced two new acts. Australia's mm. FOF, UK's RDR. Where, mm. look, you are the financial advisor, you're the financial dealer. You can get your income only from the customer that you serve. Uh, as a result of that, as a result of that, the close-end fund in UK and close-end fund in Australia when blossom. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. I, I, I can go on a lot, a lot more, yeah. MJ, but I know. Yeah, I, I know. I know if we have passed an hour, I think, good. Do you mind? We have, uh, I have just a couple of questions, maybe John as well. Do you mind? Yeah. If we extend just a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. All, right, all right. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I uh, just have one last question on the business front. Then the, the last question I have will be your thoughts on the economy. But what what's it like, right? <laughs> Actually, I mean, being an, an investor or an analyst is one thing. But what's it like actually managing analysts? And also, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I ask this question because I know there are people in the room who might be in that position, you know. So, I, <laughs> so yeah, maybe I'll start there. And also just, yeah, I think I think that that would be my question. Yeah. Uh, managing analysts. Okay. Yeah. If you're talking about the Malaysian context, uh, let, let, let me be very frank, I mean, Chair and John. You know, they, for example, they would, wouldn't want to join us because they say we work on Saturday. Mm. And then they say, oh, no, I work for JP Morgan, I work for uh, these big houses, it's only Monday to Friday, right? And they forget that they're not working in the headquarters of JP Morgan. <laughs> they're working in only a tiny little farting branch called KL. <laughs> If they were to work in the headquarters in New York, say like Morgan Stanley or Goldman yeah. Sachs in New York, you know, it was last year where a bunch of first year management associates in Goldman Sachs wrote to their CEOs and yes. said, you know that, right? Yes, can yes. You, can you please don't work us so hard whereby we got to <laughs> work in the office until 5 a.m.? Yeah. Right. And that is working in the headquarters. Yes. Of course, here in KL, you know, who cares about your JP Morgan branch or Goldman Sachs branch here? You, you know, I mean, the only thing Goldman Sachs got a lot from Malaysia was the 1MDB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, to answer your question, uh, we don't have real analysts. I sit in a wow. lot of 
Minche, you're right. I've seen a lot of analysts briefing local foreign. I attend Investor Day of Alibaba. I've researched. I've gone to look at Tesla. They, I visited their factory in Fremont. I've tested their cars in Fremont. I've gone to do, visited the diamond mine in South Africa. I've seen the engine factory of Rolls-Royce in Derby, UK. So I've done a lot of research locally and overseas. And I wouldn't call our analysts in KL analysts. Ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First, when they leave, for example, they go to a company, a steel company. After they have left, the CFO of the steel company is so, oh, how would I call it? I mean, he couldn't believe that this so-called analyst can ask questions. They can't even differentiate between the hot, uh, hot roll and cold roll or that kind of basic distinctions, you know. So a lot of uh, the companies that we talk to, uh, we know. Because after that, when the analysts have left, they keep shaking their heads. Mm. So I'm very unimpressed with the quality of analyst based in KL. Very unimpressed. And that is why, uh, I mean, that's why I hardly hire any of them, any one of them. Right. So then the follow-up to that is when they come in fresh, you know what to expect really, where though the Malaysian public is not quite at that level. What is the eye capital treatment? The 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 re-education, let's call it, uh, yeah. the process of training up analysts and things like that. Because I from what I understand is eye capital does it really, really differently. All right. Uh, Mingjie, just to share with you a company secret. Out of say, uh, out of say, a hundred equity analysts that we take in, right? Eighty percent of them cannot get through the probation stage. Wow! Yeah. And how long is the probation? Three how months. How long? Yeah. And what do we do? What, what happens in this? Yeah. Six months. Six months. Six, six months. Okay. Yeah. So what happens in that stage? Yes. Say bye bye. No, I mean, uh, what do they need to do to yeah. prove themselves within oh, that six months? Why they say yeah. why they say bye bye? Yeah. yeah, why do they say bye bye? And yeah. no, no, they say bye bye. I say bye bye. Oh, you say bye bye. <laughs> yeah. No, because they cannot meet our standards. Mm. Look, we want you to do research, not like they want. Hey, Mister Tan, uh, you have Bloomberg or not? No, we don't. We don't subscribe to Bloomberg. We don't subscribe to Reuters. We don't subscribe to all that. So how how to do research? Huh? Oh. My goodness, you mean you got to do your research just by Googling? If I can do all my research by Googling on the desktop, I don't need you. <laughs> so we tell them, if you're in the office all the time, I mean, this is before the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. If you're sitting at your table all the time and you're an equity analyst, you're not doing your job. I want you to go out. Well said, well said. <laughs> you go out, you know, like, uh, like let's say, for example, Padini, you got to understand what, uh, the competitors are doing. Why are people buying uh, Charles and Keith instead of Padini or their Vinci shoes, right? Mm. So you must be able to go out to the field like a real businessman would. The real businessman doesn't sit there at the table just Googling, 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 and then, wow, I can get good returns. No, 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 no. Get your hands dirty, understand what uh, the industry is all about from all angles, 260. So most of them, this was many years ago, this was a long time ago, where 
this bunch of new analysts requests that we took in, we told them, look, I want you all, I'll give you this assignment. You will go to the Lamborghini uh, dealer's place. You will go to uh, Piaget. Wow. You will go to Cartier and then see whether the sales assistant entertain you or not. In other words, you must have the ability to talk to people, all kinds of people, to interact with people, and the ability to get information from mm. all kinds of sources. So that's why after six months, most of them cannot be confirmed. Do you still take applicants above 43? Jokes aside, I was in uh, Germany, this was uh, many years ago when I went to see Volkswagen in the headquarters in Wolfsburg yeah. and a bunch of analysts we were sitting in the MPV, the, uh, we were all going back and the analysts, many of them, many of, most of them are not young, most of them are in their 30s and a lot of them have got PhDs and you can, I was there, I was the only Asian there, the rest were all uh, Angmos, you can listen to them, they were the questions that they asked were very good questions, very in-depth, very uh, questions that you know that they have done their research very hard, very top. They have thought through the whole thing really. Mm, 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 mm. What What do you think can you know? Uh, just Just to peel one, I, this is a very fascinating question because what do you think can help elevate? Uh, obviously, it's all doom and gloom based on your 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 what do you call it your assessment of the uh, analyst community here. Uh, but what do you think uh, will help elevate? What would be the one uh, motivation factor? Uh, is it because there's not enough competition that you know when a JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley report is there versus that of a local house, right? There's no like the feeling that oh, my standard is here, the standard is there. There's a motivating factor to get there. Or is it because of the incentivization structure that is not done properly here? I don't think there's any different. But what, what do you think can help elevate that? You know, enough supply. Ah, but it's okay. Here, here comes my 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 mm. thoughts. Uh. because we we MJ and I we know a lot of analysts, a lot of fund managers, and it's a very secretive and competitive world in the sense that they they keep it very close guarded. You want to yeah. come in, right? Wow, you know high finance. You don't have CFA. You don't have this. You don't have this, right? It's a very close guarded and that, that's my perception. I'll be just very honest about it. And here you are, you're saying you're not getting enough supply, you know? So why is this mismatch happening? <laughs> uh, I'm talking about the right supply. Mm. I mean, for us, whether you have CFA doesn't matter to us, mm. right? Uh, a CFA or finance graduate probably, probably will come and tell me high risk, high return. <laughs> Ming Chair, you if you listen to our investor today, we'll tell you if you want high risk, high return, you just get a five-year-old kid, no? The five-year-old <laughs> kid can give you high risk, no? <laughs> what do you need a CFA, right? <laughs> so high risk, high return is all bullshit. Mm, 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 so mm. the uh supply is not enough. And when I say supply, I'm talking about quality. Mm, mm. I, I mean I've been recruiting for a long time, all right. And I can see the quality has been dropping every through every cycle. The quality has been dropping. Yeah, actually, uh, 
Tengbu, you know, MJ just showed me the one that you had the assessment of uh, a university group oh, <laughs> on Asia. Uh, I, I, I rewatched that. Naga, I think. Uh, no, no, you had uh, a... Asia. Asia. No, 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 no. But they're from the university, the Tanaga, oh, Tanaga National yeah, yeah. University. I think it was Asia, the Asia. Budding Investor Day, I believe. Yeah, Budding Value Investor Award. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was just so shocked. Finance graduate, and he took, I don't know if you remember, I think he took the, <laughs> he took, I always save the timestamp for this video. So he took the <laughs> intrinsic value or the target price from a random website. Uh, I don't know if you still remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean the, the, the quality is bad. But but you see, here here we can go on lamenting about the yeah, quality, yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. uh how do we elevate that in a way? How what do you think can either structural changes or either because the I, I, I know you mentioned supply, but what I'm trying to say is also the demand side, right? It's a very like a tightly guarded thing that people who are interested actually want to get in, you know. And yeah. you know, MJ and I, we, we meet very brilliant people, uh, especially in our research team. Very brilliant people want to get into the industry, but they are being cordoned off by, I would say, the entrenched, for the lack of a better word. You know, how, how do you think that can change in a way? John, that's, that's because they didn't apply to Capital Dynamics. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, what is the email to apply to? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, jokes, jokes aside, you know, yeah. uh, we have just taken in uh, about a week ago. Uh, PhD biology graduate to mm. be an equity analyst. Mm-mm-mm. Right. Uh, and we're looking, we're looking for people who have got uh, postgraduate qualifications in electronic engineering, in computer science, in biotechnology, in environmental science, uh, in physics, in mathematics, uh, to be our equity analyst. Mm. Mm. I, I don't, I mean, whether you're a CFA or not, it doesn't matter to me. Mm. The, I mean, in my case, I've never sat in in an accounting lecture before. Wow. <laughs> it's always been self-taught. <coughs> and if you understand the business model of that particular company, the accounting is the easiest part of it. I completely because, agree. <laughs> because we, we don't look at uh, accounting profit. We look at economic profit. Mm. You know, accounting standards are all all bullshit. <laughs> they are made by auditors every year. They got to change their accounting standard because if they yeah. don't keep changing the accounting standard, they got no money to charge you, man. No job. Yeah, correct. Right, no income. So they got to keep changing accounting standards. But at the end of the day, it is still the same. Yeah. The economic profit is what matters. So. If our analysts or supposed people want to be analysts, if you can understand the business model, we want you. Because the part about understanding the PL, the balance sheet, that part is very easy. Within about a month, you probably can pick it up already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. Yeah, it's it's so true. It just made me reflected my my conversation. I I, I was attending ES Ceramics AGM, hmm. and he 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 uh, the the CEO himself was actually a trained accountant. And he was complaining about accounting standards <laughs> because of lease liabilities and all that, right? Yeah, I'm sure. It, I mean, you have you talk about Capital A or Asia. I think yeah. uh, two, three years back, they had the IFRS. Uh, MFRS 16. MFRS 16, yeah. With the, yeah, yeah. With oh, the, recent, the recent PN17 for Capital A, right? Yeah, or the recent one, yes, yeah. the PN17 for Capital A. Uh, the... which, is, which is so ridiculous. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I know, I know I have one final question and I know yeah. you are also very interested in this topic. So um, that has to do with the, the global economy, right? And I don't really know where to start, but I guess we'll start with inflation <clears throat> because this is really being felt on the ground. The previous podcast guest that we interviewed was telling us, because he, <clears throat> he's in the food industry, he's saying that certain outlets in, uh, certain KFC outlets, right, actually have run out of chicken. In, in Malaysia? In Malaysia, like in, oh. in KL, in Klang Valley, in Klang, oh. Klang Valley oh. Smack Center, they're they, they running out. Of course, the central ones don't lose chicken. Oh. Okay, okay. But those in the suburban areas are actually mm. not uh, mm. getting more chicken. So mm. what do you think about this inflation situation? Is it, uh, do, do you think it's it's just a once-off two, 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 three years, or you think it's going to be persistent? Uh, the world has fundamentally changed since, since 2000, in a sense that uh, we, we see crisis after crisis. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you have the public health crisis in 2020, uh, now, and of course that flowed on because uh, Trump and Biden uh, both are hopeless, both are incompetent presidents. Uh. They throw in so much money. I mean, why is it that China doesn't have inflation? Why is it that only US primarily, I mean Europe to some extent, is because the two presidents were so scared that they're going to lose their presidency and they keep on pumping. I think in total, we calculated the other day, they have put in 13 trillion US dollars to deal with the pandemic. Mm. Of course, you have supply disruption and you have huge demand. Of course, you have inflation. Now, before that can subside, right? before the supply chain can normalize, then you have the Ukrainian crisis, mm. which uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I... Uh, I, I wish the United States, I wish the West will give a bit more respect to Putin. You know, uh, it's a crisis that has the potential to, in terms of economic impact, it has the potential to be even bigger than the pandemic. Mm. If things get out of hand, uh, it could be something like similar to the first oil crisis of 1973. Mm. So this is this is still ongoing, it's still unfolding. Yeah. I don't think he has reached a crescendo yet. So before that can be over, the next crisis I'm looking at is related to climate change. Uh, I'm a believer, I'm very convinced that uh, climate change will worsen, that we cannot, we meaning the world cannot uh, maintain the 1.5 degrees Celsius increase in global warming, it will be more than that because the, the whole uh, political structure, the whole governance structure doesn't lead to climate change being handled properly. Mm. So when you have one crisis after another, how am I going to tell you when is inflation going to come down? I can't, because this is not your typical inflationary cycle like in the 70s, you know, due to... Uh, excessive uh, uh, demand and so on and so forth, and therefore I raise interest rate, I cut demand. Right? In the case of Ukraine, okay, Russia, largest gas exporter, second yeah. largest oil exporter, right? I cut out my supply, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Or next, 
one or two years, you have unexpected climate change impact. Speaking of the U Ukrainian war right now, right? What what is I guess what is the the worst case scenario in your head? I guess what 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 are you most fearful about? Because some some people are thinking, look, it's just a Ukrainian problem, right? Like, okay, whether Putin ends up getting it or not, you know, it's going to be contained. But you seem to be suggesting that it might not be the case. I think got to respect Russia. They are. In terms of military power, they are on par with America, right? I mean, <laughs> you're not dealing with, Russia is not a North Korea, Russia is not a Syria, right? So they, first thing is the military power is immense. Second thing is uh, they are very important in a lot of uh, resources, not just natural gas uh, and petrol, in the case of neon, which is used in the production of uh, lithography, it's semiconductor. Yes. A lot of it comes from Ukraine. Yeah. So a wide range of resources come from Russia. And then don't forget, you know, if you trace the history, that's why you, a lot of, we ask a lot of people to listen to Professor Mearsheimer. Professor Mearsheimer is a professor from Chicago University, yeah. right? In 2015 and recently, 2022, he said that the Ukraine crisis is the fault of the Western countries. It's not Putin's fault. Because mm. why? After the 2008 Bucharest summit, right? NATO says, I want to bring Georgia and Ukraine into NATO. Mm. And Russia's immediate response is, if you do that, that is a direct threat to Russia. I mean, Russia has been saying that again and again and again. Yes. So why does Zelensky, you know, if you really want to take care of your Ukrainian citizens, why do you take a policy that purposely confronts Russia? Yeah. You could have said, okay, we'll talk, Ukraine will remain neutral. That's right. And therefore, no crisis. Yeah. So now you have a situation where Zelensky being brought in by US and back uh, being supported by NATO. Of course, you have two global giants fighting and Biden is not going to step down. Putin is not going to step down. Yeah. So what will happen? <laughs> yeah. The, the sad part is that it's 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 a chess chess game, and uh, everyone wants to save face already. And uh, the, yeah, the, but, the yeah. but to 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 look at the situation objectively, I mean, that's why I said for those of you, I mean, your 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 audience who don't want to listen to me, go and look at YouTube, uh, Professor uh, Mearsheimer of University yeah. of Chicago. Listen mm. to his talk. He gave you a very good explanation as to how the whole thing could have prevented if only America and NATO do not keep threatening Russia. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I I've watched the 2015 one where he, he quite accurately predicted like, what would happen. Yeah. Uh, Professor uh, Mearsheimer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just have one last question with regards to this topic and that is where, where is China's role in this? Because I know you're a big fan of China and um, you know, Russia is always known to be <clears throat> Um, close friends or frenemies, let's call it, with 
<clears throat> China historically. And it seems to me that China is in a hard situation because obviously they don't want to get involved in all of this. Um, but then there's also the tension that they have with the United States. And then, of course, internally also, things are doing well in areas like the, the, the coastal cities, they're booming and all that, but there's issues like inequality, there's issues of the demographic uh, change. What are your thoughts about, overall thoughts about China's response to the current crisis and future crises? I think China should be the global leader. The faster, the better for the rest of the world. I mean, you listen to the foreign minister Wang Yi says, telling Europe, you cannot ask people to choose sides. Because when you ask people to choose sides, you are taking a confrontational approach. You're asking people to fight. Yes. In a complex issue like that, you sit down and you talk. You work out the differences, you work out the common grounds, and you talk, and you give and take, and then you settle the whole thing. You force people to choose sides. What? You think Russia and China will say that, come on, who, who, who are you to dominate the, the world? You keep saying that I should live by, I should uh, exist in a rule-based uh, global order, right? What rules are you those? When the West, when UK, when Britain and Japan all invaded China in the 19th century, what rules were they following? <laughs> so what rules are you asking people to follow? Right? You cannot expect uh, emerging powers like Russia and China to just sit down quietly and let US say, okay, I can have my Monroe Doctrine. You know, my Monroe Doctrine can be applied to all over the world, but you yeah. cannot talk about protecting your own uh, integrity or sovereignty. Yeah. So exactly. China's approach is very different. That is why if you look at history over a long period of time, even when China was the uh, strongest country in the world, there's never this type of conflicts. China's approach is what? Okay, you know, my neighbors, I fought with you in Turkestan, Turkmenistan, right? We cannot agree. Never mind. I send my beautiful princess to marry your son. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's settled it. Yes, yes, yes. And that's why China never had a colony. China may have a vessel tributary, right? Okay, never mind. You respect me, right? Instead of me conquering you, you send me uh, three kilograms of gold every year. I'm happy with that. Yeah. So the approach, the mindset, I mean, you look at the Chinese. I mean, uh, John, you in Alastair, you know a bit of Hokkien, right? Yes. Hokkien love to say Kongsua, Kongsua. Uh, Kongsua, the Kongsua, right? Yeah. Right. Kongsua means what? Talk and settle. Correct. It's Correct. Not, it's not going to power, you know, it's not going to yeah. fight. No. Yeah. yeah. The Chinese mindset has always been, hey, let's talk, la, let's settle. La. Mm. That give and take la, right? Some, some song to hold out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so the, the the faster China become a global leader, the faster the rest of the world look up to China, the more peaceful the world will be. Great. <laughs> I, I have so many more questions, but I know I've taken up too much of your time. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. hope you <clears throat> I hope you enjoy yourself. I, I have one last question though. Just one John, last yes, question. Sure, yeah. 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 I, I know <clears throat> macro, we can go on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I do have one that is more Malaysian centric. Uh, and in this case, because of your 41 year of investing uh, experience, what do you hope for Malaysian listed companies going forward? Obviously, you've seen the heydays of the, you know, the uh, the whole past and all that. And then the, the conglomerates of the 1990s and 1980s and 90s. And then in the year 2000s, uh, the, the boom of the semicon industry. But in, in sense of qualities or everlasting qualities to make Malaysian companies like a, a Coca-Cola or General Electric, I don't know whether that's too far-fetched, but what do you hope for listed companies in Malaysia to be on par with, you know, uh, they are they are they are more developed uh, countries actually. We we will be able to do that because Malaysian entrepreneurs are uh, world class. It's just that we are not given uh, a level playing field. Mm. A lot of times the obstacles are locally created. If the obstacles are removed, mm. uh, Malaysian companies can take on any company in the world. Fantastic. Right. I mean, it's not just it's not just the uh, Unicent, the MPI, the Top Glove, and all that. If you look at Asia, Asia has done a lot. Yeah. I mean, I keep telling people, you know, Singapore Airlines had to be rescued by the Singapore government shareholder. Yeah, exactly. Asia, Asia never received a cent from the government. Yeah. And not just that, you look at Malaysian who are CEOs like Broadcom. Right. Yes. He was from Penang. Um, yes. Uh, then the CEO, the the founder and the CEO of TPG, the uh, mobile operator in Australia. Correct. Also Malaysia. So, so Malaysian. So yeah. we have the capabilities that there are a lot of obstacles that that should be removed, and then I think the 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 Malaysian capital market is dead. <laughs> John, I agree. I know. The number of IPOs in Jakarta is more than Malaysia. And the IPOs can have IPOs of technology companies. Yes. Bukalapa and so on, and the Gojek and so on. Yes. So if your capital market is dead, how how are you going to how are you going to move forward? Here we are, the biggest who half of the year is fun fresh. Uh. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, right? Think who I mean. yeah. 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 So yeah. So you know, I I yeah, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed I, I want to spend more time with Tengbu, obviously, but we want to take up more time. Uh, uh, yeah, PJ, I, got any... I got to run. Yeah, yeah. Thank, yeah. Thank, 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 thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed yourself and uh, maybe a part two in the future. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Glad, well, everyone listening, uh, I'm sure you've gotten tremendous value of this uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, before we go, uh, Tengbu, where, where can people find you? If they want to find you, A, and maybe if they want to apply a job, who, who, who yeah. do they send their email to? I mean, you find me in, in what sense, you know, because uh, they can go to our website. Mm. Uh, if you go to our newsletter, it's, www.icapital.biz that's where our investment advisory business is if you want more on the corporate side is uh, www.capitaldynamics.biz we don't use .com we use .biz B-I-Z okay okay All right. so okay. on that two websites and if you want to apply a job you can send it to careers with an S careers at icapital.biz okay 
All right, everyone heard that. So yeah, guys, uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, you know, if you don't already know, we are also on Spotify, YouTube, and of course, uh, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends if you found it very useful, friends and family. And uh, yeah, guys, signing off, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank okay. you so much, Tengbo. All right, bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Yeah, see you bye guys. Bye.